the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 412 for April 27th, 2014. The FCC comments on next year's 600 megahertz spectrum auction. Companies begin reporting their quarterly earnings, and Sprint announces plans to begin unlocking devices. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, the iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, kicking off the news this week, FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler said a portion of the 600 megahertz airwaves coming up soon for auction should be reserved for smaller carriers, insinuating that the industry leaders of Verizon and AT&T could be facing limits on their ability to bid. Now, the rules for the auction of airwaves currently held by broadcasters is the issue, and this is expected to take place next year. In a letter to members of the House of Representatives, the chairman said that most of the high-quality airwaves are in the hands of just two providers right now, which is hindering the ability of smaller rivals to compete, especially in rural areas. Mr. Wheeler didn't name the companies, but AT&T and Verizon do control, of course, the bulk of the high-quality spectrum out there, that being that below 1 gigahertz, while companies such as Sprint and T-Mobile hold much less. Mobile carriers need more airwaves to meet the surging demand for mobile video and data. The spectrum coming up for auction in that 600 megahertz band is valuable because it can penetrate walls and travel distances better than spectrum that operates at higher frequencies. AT&T estimates that the rules will restrict its bidding in markets covering 70% of the U.S. population, resulting in a fragmented and inefficient footprint for use of the airwaves. They say such restrictions would put them in an untenable position, forcing them to reevaluate the potential participation in the auction, and uh, they will uh, not necessarily not be in it, but they're going to be second-guessing here whether or not they're going to do it. And not having them in the auction would likely reduce the amount of money raised by the government for the auction itself. In its filing, uh, this week with the FCC, AT&T said that it has never declined to participate in a major spectrum auction, but that they have stressed the importance of the spectrum being sold. Verizon has not commented at all on this report. Now, this is something that uh, we're talking a lot about. We've talked about it in past weeks here, and it's not coming up until sometime mid-2015. So we still have a little bit of time to go here before this comes up. But you know, as we've talked about in the past, the 600 megahertz swath is uh, very close to 700 megahertz, which of course is close to 800 megahertz, which all of this spectrum right in this range is, is just kind of like that 40 and 50 yard line uh, space. And, and this is where people really want to be. And, and it's what operates the best. In fact, Verizon launched their LTE network on this and they were able to run it for uh, about you know, a year and a half, two years with just this as the spectrum that they were using before they eventually uh, added in the uh, AWS stuff to supplement it. Well, it's good for long range, you know, long haul, more rural style areas where you can want to where you want to cover a lot more square footage, square mileage with a single tower versus, you know, densely populated areas where actually the shorter wavelengths help you because you can have more towers, uh, you know, closer together. Yeah, and it, it's a, a combination of both is what really the networks are doing these days. And this this is not a new thing with LTE. It's not a new thing with data. This is something that's been you know going on for many, many years. And going back to how the initial sailor networks were deployed, they needed this supplemental spectrum to fill in the gaps in the cities and the places where you had this uh, these dense populations and a lot of people using particular towers. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit here in just a bit about something T-Mobile is doing to help supplement that as well. But uh, just finishing this off, Look for some additional uh, comments on what's going to be happening with this auction within the next couple of weeks as well. I have a feeling uh, it's just going to be uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all lines up because it's very valuable.
valuable stuff, and it's really going to help set, set the stage for, say, the next five or ten years once it finally gets auctioned off. The FCC on Wednesday issuing a notice of proposed rulemaking that could put more spectrum in, to use for mobile broadband and other purposes. The FCC is looking at spectrum between the 3550 and 3650 megahertz uh, range, and they hope to extend it to up to 3700 uh, megahertz to forge a 150 megahertz block. The FCC said it will create a new citizens broadband radio service, and this will be for general consumer use with carrier-grade small cell deployments, fixed wireless broadband, and other potential uses. Portions of the spectrum are currently in use by the government, so the FCC is proposing access across three different tiers and a sharing model that would include federal and non-federal incumbents, priority access licensees, and general authorized access users. The FCC is seeking commentary on potential rules that would govern auction in the spectrum, as well as allocating it and also the technical specs for it. The new auction coincides with the others that will be coming up here soon for the aforementioned 600 megahertz block and then AWS 3 as well. Well, Nokia this week finalizing its sale of its handset business to Microsoft. The process wrapped up this past Friday, and the deal, as first proposed back last September, has Microsoft acquiring the devices and services businesses from Nokia. The transaction has already been approved by regulators in the U.S., Europe, and Asia, and has been approved as well by the boards of both companies. According to Microsoft, there are a few changes to the agreement. Microsoft will now manage the Nokia.com domain name and other social media sites for a year. Nokia will transfer 21 employees employees from Nokia's chief technology office in China to Microsoft, and Microsoft will no longer acquire Nokia's manufacturing plant in Korea. California this week struck down legislation that would have required cell phone makers to add a kill switch to devices sold in the state. The bill is proposed uh, by California State Senator Mark Leno and San Francisco District Attorney George Gaskin. Both hope the bill would eventually curb smartphone theft, with which runs rampant in many cities. According to Gaskin, 50% of all thefts in the city of San Francisco involved a smartphone or tablet, and despite the loss, consumers will eventually earn the protections sought by Leno and Gaskin. The CTIA Wireless Association this week said that it would add baseline security features to smartphone requirements that will allow consumers to remotely lock, wipe, find, and recover their phones. The CTIA's program, though, won't go into effect until the middle of next year. And BGR reporting this week that Amazon is preparing to release its first smartphone this summer, and the device will include a variety of hardware and software features unlike anything else on the market today. BGR says that it has received information from multiple sources saying that Amazon is planning to offer a unique wireless data plan alongside the device. The plan, tentatively named Prime Data, will be positioned as one of several key selling points for the phone. Details of the plan were not available, though the sources speculate that Amazon may be planning to offer buyers free access to its various Prime-based digital services. Amazon is currently offering Prime subscribers unlimited streaming of various TV shows and movies contained within its Prime Instant Video catalog. No word from Amazon on the report. Well, like it's uh, it, it's tablets, Amazon could be getting into the smartphone business, which it does make sense. You know, they're they're a pretty big uh, powerhouse of you know digital media and content distribution, so it makes sense to uh, you know to take their learnings from the uh, the the tablets and move it into the smartphone because you know these days the way data is going to be much, you know kind of much more commodity style uh, pricing and of course MVNOs everywhere they could be their own MVNO reselling who's ever uh, uh, service that may be so it, it does make sense for them to uh, dip their toes into this at least to take a to take a stab at it right I, I think it's 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 very confusing for a consumer if you start thinking about you know well what kind of data can I use and which is covered and which isn't but I think Amazon is has got to be the one company that can actually do it in a way that it says okay this 
particular subset of stuff that we're talking about here where it's the, the services that you get from us with your Prime subscription. That's the stuff that's covered. Everything else is not. So uh, I, I think it, it's a very interesting one here. AT&T, by the way, is the uh, rumored carrier that this phone would be an exclusive on, at least for a while. But again, no comments on this at all from Amazon, AT&T, or anyone else. This is just speculation at this point. So again, more on this one as we hear about it further. AT&T announcing plans this week to relaunch Cricket Wireless at the end of the second quarter. AT&T CFO John Stevens said new customers will be given devices that run on AT&T's LTE network rather than Cricket's as the company looks to transition customers away from Cricket Spectrum so that it can be reused for future network needs. Stevens said Cricket will be available nationwide at 3,000 locations around the country while AT&T's existing prepaid service, IO Wireless, will be folded into Cricket. AT&T expects it will take 18 months to transition all Cricket's customers away from Cricket's CDMA network over to AT&T's LTE network. Now that's pretty quick, 18 months. So they're they're uh, transitioning away from that pretty fast. So they must really want that spectrum. I think so. And I think they're trying to do anything they can, uh, you know, to get everyone consolidated on them. And I think it's a, you know, it's a good thing to have that cricket brand under AT&T IO or AO, however you want to pronounce it hasn't really taken off. I've seen uh, very little uh, traction with this one. And so I think it's a good thing for them as they're, they're coming up here on, I can't remember the exact number, but 5 million subscribers or something like that, that they're picking up from cricket. Well, and plus, of course, running a CDMA network for, you know, AT&T running a CDMA network, that's a ridiculous thing to be uh, happening, just like uh, Sprint trying to run an IDEN network. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's it's a it's all about customers and, and being able to acquire more. And so the acquisition of Cricket made a lot of sense for them to do. Uh, and uh, so we'll just see kind of how that goes as they transition people over to them. As far as earnings are concerned, AT&T reported their first quarter 2014 results this week, showing strong growth in revenues, sales of handsets and consumer. Consumer acquisition for the quarter, AT&T posted $17.9 billion in revenue, including handset sales, up 7% year over year, leading to a $5.1 billion operating income. That's up 8.1%. On the customer side, AT&T added 625,000 postpaid subscribers, its largest first quarter gain in five years. It also added 693,000 connected devices, but saw prepaid customers dip overall in the quarter, due mostly to the loss of 200,000 reseller subscribers. Of those additions, 311,000 were from postpaid smartphones and 313,000 were tablets. AT&T sold 5.8 million smartphones in the period, making up 92% of all postpaid phone sales. That's a first quarter record. 78% of AT&T's postpaid customers are now using smartphones. Almost 80% of people are using smartphones in AT&T. That's up from 74% of, uh, at this time last year. Also, 57% of AT&T's postpaid subscribers now have an LTE e-compatible device. AT&T says 40% of the gross smartphone additions and upgrades came by way of its AT&T Next device installment plan. That's up from just 15% last quarter. Additionally, about 45% of all postpaid subscribers are now on a mobile share plan of some sort and a full 81% now being on non-unlimited usage-based billing plans. So, so much for the have to stay on an unlimited plan. Less than 20% of people are still on unlimited plans with AT&T. Now, a 
of two cities are also reporting Q1 earnings this week. Verizon, in its report released on Thursday, the nation's largest carrier posted a profit of $0.84 per share with Q1 revenue of $31.8 billion. That's a billion dollars higher than the consensus estimate. Verizon adding 539,000 postpaid subscribers in the quarter. That's slightly below the 625 we just mentioned from AT&T. Postpaid churn remained very low at 1.07%. At the end of the first quarter, AT&T counted 103.3 million retail connections, including 97.3 retail postpaid connections. Verizon said it activated 8.1 million LTE devices in the quarter, bringing the total number of the LTE devices on the network to 47.9 million. The company said LTE devices now account for 49% of the total retail postpaid connections. That's up from 28% in the year-ago period. Importantly, though, the company said that 73% of its total data traffic is currently on the LTE network. Verizon's LTE network now covers around 305 million pops. So here's the deal, though, with this is that with all of those postpaid subscribers, they did lose more uh, on the prepaid side to actually bring them down below uh, and lost subscribers for the first time in in, uh, forever with them. So uh, very interesting that uh, AT&T adding a lot, Verizon not really um, you know, adding as many or adding different types of customers and losing other types of customers. Well, Verizon does seem kind of stagnant, stagnant to me as far as, you know, advertising and, and kind of the plans they're doing. I know they, you know, just recently tried to do some uh, changes to those edge plans that we saw where they're, you know, cutting down the price a little bit and trying to mimic T-Mobile's. But, you know, they don't have any, you know, big devices that they're really pushing. You know, they had a lot of traction with the, the Droid branding that they did with the, the earlier Android devices. But, you know, since then, it's been a little bit on the weak side. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, certainly I think if you're a Verizon customer right now, I mean, you're watching them and trying to understand how your network and your experience is going to get better. We've talked about it many times on this show that the LTE coverage is, uh, you know, is obviously one of the things that brought so many people uh, to the network. And uh, we've just gotten to a point right now where there's so many people on it. It's oversaturated and they're trying to do what they can to supplement it with that AWS spectrum. But it's just going to take time and it's just going to be um, it's just going to be a while before it ultimately kind of smooths out, I guess. And so as we get more people that have AWS device capable devices on the network it will eventually get better for those that don't have it but uh, again still it just is going to take time so very interesting stuff there also in earnings news apple on wednesday reporting its results for the second fiscal quarter of 2014 the company posted a profit of 11 dollars 62 per share on revenue totaling 45.6 billion dollars that's top topped apple's own revenue guidance of between 42 and 44 billion in the period apple's results strongly beat analyst consensus estimates which were looking for earnings of $10.18 per share on $43.53 billion in sales. Excuse me. Uh, Apple's biggest moneymaker recently has been the iPhone and expected sales of the device were 37.7 million handsets. Actual iPhone sales came in 6 million iPhones more, 43.7 million units sold in the three-month period. The company reported March quarter iPad sales of 16.3 million tablets. That actually missed the Wall Street's consensus of 19.7 million units, but so there's a large 3 million uh, unit miss there, though they still beat their own internal projections. Finally, Wall Street was looking for June quarter revenue guidance of 38.1 billion. Actual guidance stated by Apple was between 36 billion and 38 billion. 
you know, time and time again, the iPhone just keeps, you know, just trudging along here, just entrenched with its, uh, you know, profitability and the, and the sales that it has. Even something as long in the tooth now as the iPhone 5S, which you know, really looks the same as the iPhone 5, which came out, you know, feels like a million years ago. You know, it's got the minor upgrade with the fingerprint sensor and a little bit faster, but, you know, really nothing, nothing earth shaking. So kind of a two year old style device is still just really uh, keeping bringing in the customers. And, you know, this is not to be unexpected, though, because because this, it's a maturing market, you know, people uh, who have the iPhone 5S are still under contract, uh, you know, they're, they were just getting out of their 4S contracts, they're in 5S's now, you know, like you and I, Mickey, we were off a cycle, so we've got iPhone 5's still under contract, and we just don't really need to upgrade, but we will be upgrading, and I think a lot of people are in the same boat, where they, they've got, uh, you know, this week, you know, J.D. Power said they're still the you know most satisfied customers, Apple iPhone users, so they will be upgrading to the next one when it comes out, so they've got this real solid core of really dedicated customers. They do, and uh, they continue to do things that uh, keep keep investors coming back for them. They announced a couple of things this week. First off, an extension to its buyback plan. The company will now buy back an additional $30 billion of stock, totaling $90 billion in all when it's all said. That's significantly accelerated its original plans, and the board has also announced a 7-for-1 stock split that begins on June 2nd. Apple's last split was nine years ago in 2005. Apple will also increase the dividend by about 8% to $3.29 nine cents per common share. Other significant stats from the call include that $150.6 billion is now the cash pile that Apple is sitting on. 98% of customers are satisfied with their iPad Air and iPad Mini with Retina Display. 95% of the iPad current market or that the excuse me, the US education tablet market is currently using the iPad. 24 companies uh, Apple has acquired over the past 18 months. iTunes accounts worldwide now account uh, there's 800 million of them. 60% is the percentage of the new Apple iPhone 5C and 4S users who made the jump over from Android. And the iPhone's current market share market share in Japan is 50%. So some great numbers uh, from them. So a great time to be an investor as well. Yeah, so 98% satisfaction with the iPad Air and uh, iPad Mini with Retina. That's really, I mean, those are pretty huge numbers. I mean, even even uh, yesterday, my uh, wife took advantage of the T-Mobile sale where they've got the, uh, the, the 4G LTE model at the Wi-Fi price. So she picked up a 16 gig uh, Mini Retina. Uh, T-Mobile versions, of course, because that's what it comes with. But of course, it's unlocking whichever one you want in. And, uh, you know, when she started using, she's like, you know, this is pretty nice uh, because it, it just it's just kind of fun to use, you know, and that's kind of what the, 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 the what Apple seems to want to do. And they, they seem to really be reaching that. Yeah. And I, you know, interestingly, I bought a new device this week as well. And guess what? It was an iPad Air. And now before you say, wait a second, you already have one. Yes, I do. I bought another one. Uh, I will be giving away slash selling the one that I have right now. Uh, and I, I jumped on this deal as well that uh, I was talking to Joey yesterday about it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go into T-Mobile and get one of these myself. So I uh, did the same thing, got the uh, LTE model for the Wi-Fi price. And, uh, you know, I it'll be here in a couple of days. So looking forward to that. By the way, just as an aside, uh, I did get confirmation that deal only goes through May 2nd. So you've got another week to deal uh, to get this deal if you're looking to do so. If you want to go in and get it, now is the time to do it. The store that I went to only had 16 gig models in stock, so they have to, they had to ship anything else. Uh, so we'll see uh, you know, how that kind of goes here as this uh, deal winds down. But obviously a really nice thing if you're looking to pick up a new iPad. You may as well just get the uh, the one with the, the cellular built in. It's, you know, If you pay it off, uh, as I did right when you buy it, um, there is no contract. You're month to month, and so you're not locked into using T mobile though 
I may as well use it for a while just to see how it is. Well, the nice thing is with the T-Mobile, you've got the 200 megs free, but then when you have the uh, LTE model, you do get the additional GPS functionality, uh, actual GPS chip built into the device that you don't get with the Wi-Fi only model. So if you use Find My iPad on there and you have the data connection active, you've got a much better chance of relocating your device because it'll have a data connection to, you know, to actually, you know, send the information back to the network. So it's kind of uh, kind of gives you one of those little bit of an insurance policy to, you know, better recover the device even if you if you take everything else out of the equation uh plus then you can you know, use it as a gps or you know turn by turn navigations uh with google maps or the apple maps yeah there's a lot of things to love about why uh, about having the lte and you know after having an lte equipped model for uh, you know almost two years and then going back to one that didn't have lte in it uh i decided you know what it, that was a that was a dumb mistake <laughs> i shouldn't have done that and joey mentioned it from the time that i bought it he's like what are you doing so yeah he got he got his i told you so today so either way we move on sprint this week indicating via its support site that it will be unlocking certain phones by february of 2015 according to sprint none of these sim equipped phones it has sold during the past three years including apple's iphones can be unlocked for use on competing networks the company said that it will unlock the sim card slot of devices that have one but this will only apply to devices launched after February of 2015. Sprint said phones purchased through the subsidiaries of Boost Mobile, Virgin Mobile, and Assurance Wireless will not be compatible with Sprint's network, even if unlocked. Further, customers need to make uh, meet certain criteria in order to be given the unlocked code, such as an, a phone must be paid for and no longer attached to a contract. The change in Sprint's policy is a voluntary action, though the FCC threatened all network operators with regulation if they failed to act on their own. No other carrier has yet announced detailed plans for unlocking of devices. And still, this somewhat doesn't, it still doesn't even almost make sense in some regards because a lot of these devices are CDMA based or they've got LTE bands specific to Sprint. So if you unlock the SIM card and it may not even have US bands for the thing, it's such a disaster as far as all these bands and networks and technologies go. I don't even know if this really makes that big of a difference in the grand scheme of things. I guess if, if you're someone who's buying a device sometime next year and you want to take it, somewhere you don't have to deal with it you just and you buy it outright so there, yeah there's a lot of factors a lot of criteria you still have to meet it is it would be one thing if it's like the 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 iphone uh where you know when you if you get an unactivated or pre-carrier device it asks you which network do you want it on and so then it configures for that particular network that would be that would make sense then where if it's something like uh an iphone or some of these uh the higher end samsung devices where they are compatible with everything and every band then this makes sense yeah but at this point you're still having to deal with all of the you know well it's going to still come locked and then you can get it unlocked once you get to a certain point it's yeah it's a rigmarole still freedom pop on thursday announcing that customers interested in its service can now bring their own device or purchase the two devices the company already sells assuming compatibility with the sprint network freedom pop is an mvno that uses sprint's network and relies on voiceover IP to route calls over Sprint's data network. Freedom Pop offers 200 voice minutes, 500 texts, and 500 megs of data for free. It also has unlimited voice and texting plans for $4.58 per month with a number of data options. T-Mobile preparing to increase its LTE 4G network by doubling the number of antennas on its base stations in certain markets. T-Mobile's network currently uses a 2x2 MIMO or multiple input, multiple output configuration. This means two antennas on the base station used in parallel to connect to 
two antennas on the phone. Switching to four antennas of the base station means that it will help fill the coverage gaps within a given cell, and that phones in a particular cell will see better overall coverage and performance of the network on both the downlink and uplink sides. According to T-Mobile's VP of Technology, Mark McDermott, we will see the we do see benefits on a four by two MIMO configuration, and we'll be deploying this in many cities in 2014 as part of our wideband LTE rollout. All of T-Mobile's available devices currently support 4x2 MIMO and will ensure that new devices will as well. We believe that this is one of the first deployments by a top carrier network in the U.S., and it means T-Mobile customers won't have to do anything in order to enjoy the benefits of the improved coverage. Now, the coverage doesn't mean speeds will improve. Rather, individual sites will be able to provide more consistent connections to devices. The first three markets to see improvements will be Chicago, Dallas, and San Antonio. T-Mobile didn't release other markets that will receive the updates. And you know what? Stability and reliability actually, to me, it, it, it actually a lot of times it makes the device feel better overall than having super fast but slow latency and things like that. And that's what this will improve. So this this will be good. Yeah, or super fast and then super slow, which is equally as bad. I mean, because then you're just like, well, it's inconsistent, so I have no idea what I'm going to get. And so you just assume it's going to be bad. And that's all what you get a lot of the time. So either way, three markets to start. We'll get more as we move forward. And finally, a news. MetroPCS, now owning and operating by, owned and operated by T-Mobile, has begun notifying customers in Las Vegas and New England that it will be shutting off MetroPCS's legacy CDMA network on July 1st. A landing page on the company website recommends that MetroPCS customers Customers in these markets go to a store to exchange their current handset for one that will work on T-Mobile's networks. Metro says that customers will need to make an exchange by June 30th as their existing hardware will not work beginning on the 1st of July. T-Mobile is offering Metro customers discounts on handsets, some of which are free. T-Mobile will begin using the spectrum regained from the CDMA networks that is sunset for its 4G services. In device news, Mac rumors this week reporting that Apple has been further extending its trademark to cover now jewelry and watches. This includes many countries around the world, and according to the report, Apple has also added protection for its Class 14 devices, which covers precious metals, stones, and products made from those metals, including watches. Class 14 is one of 45 different categories for goods when it comes to trademark protection. Apple has added the protection in Ecuador, Mexico, Norway, and the UK. Class 14 trademark does not. A protection filing is yet to be filed in the U.S., as well as many other markets where the company sells the devices. Now, regarding the name of this new device, a French publication called Consomac has discovered that Apple has quietly applied for the iWatch trademark in many markets around the world, including here in the U.S., by using a discreet dummy company called Bright Flash. Registered in Delaware, Bright Flash USA LLC was filed for, or has filed for iWatch trademark registrations in the U.S., EU, U.K., China, Australia, and many other countries. Apparently, Bright Flash has the same address Apple has used in the past for similar companies when they registered uh, the iPad names of iSlate. Similarly, a CarPlay Enterprises company registered at the same address filed for the CarPlay trademark. The reports are in line with rumors that Apple is expected to unveil its first smartwatch later this year, a device that could be available in multiple sizes. And while not news about a new device, beginning this week, consumers can now bring in any aging Apple product to an Apple store for free recycling. The company said it's 
renewed commitment to sustainability also includes other initiatives, including the use of more renewable resources in its manufacturing processes and data centers. Before this week, Apple required users to fill out a a form online before accepting old devices for recycling and only accepted certain devices in stores. The new program covers Apple smartphones, tablets, laptops, desktops, and accessories. Apple will provide customers with Apple Store gift cards for select products, including iPhones and iPads that are in good working condition. Apple said that it also expects products from other companies during special pre-announced recycling events. Also, Apple this week announcing a program in the U.S. and Canada to replace the power and lock button of a certain iPhone, certain iPhone 5 models. According to the website, Apple discovered the button may fail in some devices manufactured before March of 2013. Customers can use Apple's website to determine if theirs is affected, and if so, the company uh, the phone can be sent directly back to the company's repair facility or taken to an Apple store where it will be examined and then sent to the repair facility. Apple says the turnaround time for repairs will be four to six days, and Apple may be able to provide a loaner device while the customer's iPhone is being repaired. Apple's website to check if your phone is eligible for repair is https colon slash slash ssl.apple.com slash support slash iPhone 5 dash sleep wake button. So, Mickey, uh, about two weeks ago or so, my uh, sleep-wake uh, button has been uh, it turned mushy on me, and it, it, it didn't have that snappy, clicky feeling that a, a normal button does. It was still working okay, so it was still turning on and off the device, but it was, it was hard to tell if you were hitting it right, and, you know, it, it, when, when buttons like that fail, they'll eventually stop working properly, so I was kind of uh, dreading what was going to be next, because this is out of warranty. This was ordered, uh, you know, the night, uh, you know, that 2 a.m. thing when the, uh, the iPhone came out so it was release day iphone and uh i I ended up uh friday night after seeing this news i put my uh, serial number in of course my device was uh uh, was uh, uh, eligible for this program and i did submit the uh the package to get the the device shipped because i didn't want to go to an apple store but ended up at an apple store yesterday just by chance so i took it in there and asked them uh you know can i look at this or had you know do this program so that took about a half hour of them doing paperwork, looking up the serial number, doing the same thing. And then they have to wipe it and connect it to the thing and load their diagnostic app. And they had to run through this whole rigmarole process of they have this uh, uh, tool that they use. They, they push up against the power button to measure the resistance on it. And, and uh, they had to go through this whole thing. So it was just this paperwork kind of nightmare. Um, uh, luckily, I didn't have to wait long to get this to, to get it uh, looked at. But. Um, I then have to go back to the store to return the loaner device that they gave me for this process. So it's uh, going to be it's it's a little bit of a hassle here. It is. But here's the the, the good news is that they gave you a loaner. Uh, you took it with you. Everything is, you know, as it should be with this. And if you happen to be someone uh, who has this issue, you may be able to get it fixed and not have to pay for it. I guess that's the point. Loaner devices, I'm sure, will go very quickly here. So if you have the problem, head into a store and try and get it taken care of as soon as possible. And if you're taking it into a store, you may have another option available for you. This just came out as well. This is a $350 trade-in towards an iPhone 5S or 5C. That's actually $80 more than it's usually offered. The catch is, though, that you have to ask for it. Apple employees have been instructed not to present the option unless you specifically ask about upgrading to a newer model. The policy is in place so customers don't get the feeling that Apple 
Apple has put this program in place to lure you away uh, with an upgrade for a new contract. So keep in mind, that's what will happen is you'll get a, a credit if you want to buy a 5S or a 5C, but you'll have to sign a new contract in the process. Yeah, in that case, I know I don't know if Apple's trying to do that. I, I just think they're trying to just repair these devices and just get it out of the way. Yeah, I suppose. And, and you know, they'll take these devices in and, and certainly will do what they need to do with them, fix them and uh, put a new body on them. And then you'll be seeing them on the seeing them on the, the refurbished site as well. So you can also, um, you know, expect to see, I would imagine, a, a lot of devices that are going to be popping up on there after they get these things squared away and uh, ready to to pass back out to customers. Interestingly, Joey's device was on this. My wife's device is also on this. I bought mine at the same time as Joey. However, uh, last September, I had to take mine in because I had a camera sensor problem. And so mine is not part of this. So apparently it was manufactured after March of 2013. So um, I really have an iPhone 5 that's only at this point like six months old. That's right. I forgot that you had uh, done that. And I, you know, I, I forgot, um, I forgot when I ordered all the uh, other iPhones at my office, I haven't checked their serial numbers yet to see if they apply to this. Yeah, it's it's going to be for for the most part people who bought their phones right away uh, when they first uh, first came out. So there's a lot of iPhone fives that are out there. So you again, there's probably going to be a lot of people taking them up on the loaner devices because you know it, a lot of people don't just have an extra phone laying around that they can use for four to six days until they get their new device. So keep all of that in mind if you decide to take advantage of the program. On the Android side, OnePlus, a Chinese-based company, on Wednesday announcing the One. This is a low-cost smartphone with specs that rival some of the the best flagship Android devices around. The OnePlus One runs CyanogenMod. It's based on Android 4.4 KitKat and includes stronger security and features that are normally not found in stock Android, such as voice wake-up and custom on-screen gestures. The phone includes a 5.5-inch full HD display with Corning Gorilla Glass 3, features exchangeable rear covers that come in a variety of materials such as cashew and bamboo. The One is powered by uh, a 2.5 gigahertz quad-core Snapdragon 805 processor, and it features 3 gigs of RAM. It features a 13 megapixel Exmor camera sensor from Sony with an f2.0 aperture and six lens elements. It can record 4K video as well as slow motion in 720p HD. The One has a 5 megapixel user-facing camera, and the device supports worldwide HSPA and LTE support. Also has Bluetooth 4.1, dual-band Wi-Fi, GPS, GLONASS, and other sensors. The One has a 3100 milliamp-hour battery, USB 3, and quick charge 2.0, but does not support microSD cards. The One Plus uh, OnePlus said the One will go on sale in select markets, including the U.S., during the second quarter. Priced at $300 for the 16-gig model and $349 for uh, 64 gigs, the OnePlus is offering the One for just $1 for those who literally break their old phone, but the company requires an invite in order to purchase the phone. So here's the deal. I signed up for the uh, the email just to understand what this was all about, and uh, you have to be breaking a certain device. It can't just be some own old device you have laying around. It looks like basically something from 2012 or newer has to be a smartphone and, and all of those kind of requirements. But And they're also only doing this for 100 people. So don't just go break your device and then send them a picture and think you're going to get a free phone. They will only choose 100 people to do this, and then they will take uh, the old device that you've broken and send it in, and then you'll get one replaced. But the, the point is here, a $300 device with high-end specs um, and uh, also shipping with a Cyanogen mod version of Android. Very, very interesting, uh, their strategy with this. It looks like a great device and uh, certainly could be could be something that a lot of people take advantage of if you're not looking for a Nexus device and maybe something that is a little bit more, um, you know, m- matching with the specs of the, of the latest flagships that are out there. 
Samsung this week confirming that certain Galaxy S5 smartphones sold were affected by a bug that permanently disables the camera. According to Samsung, they learned that a limited number of Galaxy S5 devices have an issue that causes a camera failure pop-up error message and that customers need to visit a carrier store for service under Samsung's standard limited warranty. Customers with affected devices may contact Samsung directly as well or go through those retail stores. Verizon has reached out to customers via social media, but other carriers have not yet done so, so it's unclear what carriers have devices that are being affected. In software news, Apple on Tuesday made iOS 7.1.1 available for download. The minor system update applies to the iPhone and iPad and resolves a handful of ongoing issues, including further improving performance of the Touch ID function of the iPhone 5S, as well as tweaking of keyboard responsiveness and tackling a bug related to Bluetooth keyboards when voiceover is activated. The update marks the first maintenance to iOS 7.1, which was released in March and is a free download to install. So just a real quick note on this. I've, uh, you know, of course, I downloaded it right away on Tuesday and I've been using it ever since. And one thing I've noticed is the, the battery life seems to be uh, marginally better, um, at least to the point where I have had a great uh, experience with battery life this week. Um, I have been 40 to 50% very consistently at the end of the day. I haven't had to plug my phone in at all. And just generally, it's been working out uh, really well for me here. So uh, not sure if it's just me or, or what that was, but I've had a great experience with it. So uh, if you, you have uh, not upgraded to it yet, of course, any update is a good update in general. And this one seems to have done some great things for the device. Well, it's definitely a good security update to do. So you should be doing this particular one anyways, because it does resolve some uh, some another one of those SSL style uh, cert, uh, certificate issue, uh, issue open SSL, that heartbleed kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's not that specifically, but it's definitely good to update. I didn't see any uh, improvement in my battery life, Mickey. I'm still, I, I think it could be my device's batteries wearing out is really what it is. Cause even this loaner device I have seems to have a tremendously better battery life today. And, and granted, I don't have nearly, I don't, I, I didn't do a restore to this device, so I don't have my apps and all that stuff, but I do have the email and the, the, the messaging uh, on here as usual. So that's kind of mostly what I use as far as, uh, you know, battery life throughout the day. So I, I think my device is just getting kind of old. Uh, you know what? I absolutely would imagine that's that's part of the reason. You know, I when I had mine swapped out last September, and that was only a year after I had I had, had it, and we're up here now in a year and a half. It was dramatic how much better the the battery life was. I mean, it was at least probably fifteen to twenty percent more battery life that I got out of that one, and that was just after a year. So a year and a half in, absolutely, I would imagine that uh, you know part of that could be the case for you. Google on Monday announcing the availability of Hangouts for Android version two dot one. This update to the messaging app will resolve an issue that until now has kept two separate conversation threads, one for SMS and one for instant message, instant messages for the same contact. According to Google, the app will clearly mark which type of message is being viewed and allow users to choose between sending an SMS or instant message. The application will create separate contact lists, one for those with, with whom you hang out often, and another for phone-based contacts. Hangouts adds a new home screen widget too, which provides a view of recent conversations and also fixes bugs and resolves performance issues. The update is a free download through Google Play. Microsoft this week releasing a beta application to let Windows Phone 8.1 devices remotely access and control Windows computers. Windows Phone 8.1 has not been widely distributed for new and existing hardware, but is available for free to register developers and those who register for the preview. With Windows Phone 8.1 preview and the Microsoft Remote Desktop application installed, users can connect to a remote PC and access and interact with their Windows machines. The app includes support for Windows 8 touchscreen gestures and can be used to 
open files, run apps, and more. According to Microsoft, the app has tight security for enterprise use and connections can be managed by a simple dashboard. The app also supports high-definition video streaming and sound streaming from the PC to the smartphone through the network. Microsoft Remote Desktop is a free uh, application to download for the Windows through the Windows Phone Store. Microsoft has offered a similar tool for Android and iOS since last year. Questions and comments this week. First up, a question from Patrick. He says, Hi, Mickey and Joey. Long-time listener to the podcast. Love what you do. I recently moved from a 6-gig share-everything plan on Verizon to their 10-gig more everything plan, and I'm now receiving a 20 $25 per line access fee discount per month. We have three iPhone 5 devices that are on month to month basis. And as you discussed these monthly plan savings on last week's show, uh, my understanding, though, was if that you were to maintain this $25 savings per line each month, that you would need to stay on a month-to-month basis, upgrade to Edge, or upgrade and pay the full retail price. However, I was on a chat with Verizon Customer Care, and they informed me that I would retain these discounts if I upgraded on two-year pricing and signed a contract. So, from a cost standpoint, it seems too good to be true, and that it, well, could upgrade uh, the contract and still get the $25 discount per line each month. Uh, we would essentially not be paying any monthly device installments or paying off the device subsidies if I'm doing that and I may be misunderstanding this or is that is it that good of a deal it seems that I would like I would save a good amount of money just by buying them on contract I've basically this is what the Verizon rep has told me thanks for the great show each week I look forward to your thoughts Patrick and PS if you're wondering how I have an iPhone 5 device and I'm out of contract it's because I worked for Verizon and I got these phones on a one-year employee contract Uh, well Patrick you know this isn't exactly how I understood the plan but I suppose it is possible that once you get the plan they might allow you to keep it when you purchase the new device even if it is on a contract however this may not last and uh, as you point out there is no subsidy built into that plan and so they may require that uh, on a new plan moving forward yeah this does sound a little fishy like maybe the the rep wasn't exactly sure on how these plans are supposed to work or they haven't been trained exactly i i would be a little weary of that uh, actually being the case just you know just a little skeptical of that yeah well and and either way i mean if you're right now you're you're on you, you've got this plan in place and uh, you're, you're saving the money. And I guess that's, that's the important stuff. And, you know, I would say that as you, you know, as you go through the process, when you go to upgrade your device, you know, we'd love to hear if you've got any sort of uh, any sort of feedback on that and, and how it goes, because this would certainly make a lot of, a lot of people happy if all you had to do was, uh, was go in, uh, wait till your device was out of contract, go in, uh, change the plan, and then you can upgrade and keep the, keep that contract uh, in place. So, um, or that, that, pricing in place, I should say, with a new contract. But uh, yeah, I do think that at some point that's not going to be possible, even if it is uh, for just your particular case. Next up is a comment from Mike. He says, Mickey and Joey, longtime listener, first time writing in. I'm responding to Chris on a podcast problem in episode 411. On the iPhone, you can go into the podcast application, choose the podcast you're having problems with. And the problem we were talking about was where you were seeing all these older episodes. So he says, go into the podcast you're having problems with, go into add old episodes and read down the episodes that are partially played after redownloading mark them all as played and then they will disappear from your list i had a similar problem after restoring an iphone and that's what worked for me hopefully it will work for you as well mike well mike thank you very much uh for that feedback that's a great piece of advice there and hopefully that is all that uh, chris will need to do to uh, take care of that i i had uh, suggested deleting the podcast and re-adding it which would solve this problem as well because then you wouldn't have all these episodes that uh, were marked as uh, as unread yeah, exactly. And it's uh, one thing I, I've got this podcast app, but I use it so rarely I wouldn't even have uh, known enough to dig around in it to uh, see see how to, to get it synced because I only have it on just my iPod touch. 
Yeah, and I use it. Uh, I use it on the iPhone as well, or only. I don't use it on an iPad, or actually, I don't even sync it to the computer. And that was one of the other things I mentioned last week. Is I don't need all those podcasts on my computer, just downloading and stuff, because I just never am at the computer to listen to them. So it's only on the phone. That's where I keep them, and don't sync it, and and that's all fine with me. So thank you very much, Mike. Hopefully, uh, re-downloading and marking them all as played will solve Chris's issue. Next up is a question from Joseph. He says, Mickey, I wanted to get a handle on taxes, fees, and surcharges, and the difference between build service and prepaid service. For the most part, when you get billed service, you have the base cost of the service, but on top of that, with each bill is included the various taxes, such as sales tax, which could be for the city, county, state, and or federal, and then you'll pay various surcharges, such as uh, contributing for the maintenance of 911 and other surcharges. With prepaid service, for the most part, uh, you just pay for the cost of minutes, uh, i.e. the monthly cost. So in some locales, you will pay sales tax on the monthly cost, which um, you can often avoid by going online and buying a minute voucher pin at a place such as callingmart.com. And in some places, such as Canada, you'll pay a monthly amount for the 911 access contribution. But my question is, even here in the U.S., where to my knowledge, you just pay for the prepaid cost and the prepaid customers are still paying taxes, fees, and surcharges, but they're built, built into a customer uh, customer's uh, account, Am I assuming that each mobile operator pays the fees for the customer? It's also why I wonder if Canadian telcos can get away with charging separately for the 911 contribution. Thanks in advance, Joseph. Well, great question here, first off, Joseph. Um, and let's just call it out first off by saying, yes, callingmart.com is a great place to buy minute vouchers and save some money by doing so. Um, regarding the tax on the service, the postpaid side is pretty clear. You've got your plan, and then you've got anywhere from you know 7 to 20% on top of that is charged to you for the taxes. Um, though on the prepaid side, the amount you pay for taxes and fees is less because, as you point out, it is included in the amount that you're paying for the service. So yes, the carrier is essentially absorbing those costs. Uh, but not knowing the tax implications on their side, they may be able to uh, to account for those prepaid subscribers differently for reporting purposes than how they do for postpaid subscribers. Um, but uh, either way, it's yet another reason to consider prepaid service for your next plan. Yeah, it is because uh, they you can save money with that. And, and also with the taxes, it's definitely something that makes a big difference in price overall and fees, you know, hidden fees under uh, postpaid plans can really add up. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, certainly I think about mine and I've got a, a bill that's I don't know, $140 a month and I pay something like 155 or even 160 uh, to to get all of this um, and just to get my services for all of my devices. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it adds up and it's another 15 or 20 bucks a month. And if you were on uh, if I was on prepaid, I probably could save a significant amount of that. So uh, very interesting, though. And thanks for pointing that out. And we're going to finish up this week uh, with a question from Chris. It's a little lengthy, but very interesting. So here it goes. Mickey and Joey, I'm a police officer in Oklahoma, and I had an interesting traffic stop recently. I pulled over a vehicle with three people inside, two in the front, one in the back. I asked for consent to search the vehicle, and the driver gave consent. All three people exited the vehicle. The person sitting in back left two cell phones on the back seat, one a burner phone from Cricket, and the other an iPhone 4S. Now, based on my experience with iPhones, I know that the serial number is located in Settings General About. The unlocked, I unlocked the phone, no passcode was there, and I went directly to the serial number to see if uh, with another officer watching i then ran the serial number through my dispatch and they confirmed that the phone was stolen out of a city that i work uh, no arrests were made because the suspect's story actually checked out 
He said that his cousin had found the phone, gave it to him, and that Verizon told him it wasn't stolen, and so he had it activated. I told the suspect that he should have reported the uh, the phone, found phone regardless, and that it could have kept the phone after 90 days if no one claimed it, but oh well. So on to my question. Why doesn't Apple put the serial number of the iPhone on the outside of the phone? On other cell phones, I can pull the back off, get the serial number on parts, uh, on the parts, and it's much less invasive than me going into the software to check. Uh, also, most people lock their phones, so it would make me impossible to check if that were the case in the situation. I'm sure that there are some Android and Windows phones with similar issues, but I know my experience with Apple has been that the serial number is always just shown in the software. I could have maybe checked the iPhone by the IMEI, but we don't always have a record of that. Obviously, you two could talk for hours about the legality of me even looking in the phone or the other officers looking at the phone's uh, incident to an arrest, but I believe the Supreme Court is working on two cases that will hammer that out. Honestly, though, I've never needed that information in a cell phone to make or break a case I've worked on. For instance, if you are in possession of an illegal drug or narcotic and I find a text message you sent that says you wanted to buy a certain amount of drugs or services, it might help, but of course it doesn't matter. And if my case hinged on me getting into your cell phone and wouldn't consent, then well, I would then we would seize it and have probable cause and get a search warrant anyways to do it. But let's just stick to why doesn't Apple imprint the serial numbers on the outside? One last thing, if Apple did do it and the serial number had been scratched out, that could be a good indication to us if the phone was stolen, like firearms where you have removed serial numbers. I uh, hope you guys find this intriguing. Love the show, Chris. Well, uh, you know, clearly, Chris, I find this very interesting and uh, a very interesting point uh, that you have here. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't actually realize it. I, I guess maybe I did, but I didn't put two and two together that the serial number is not on the outside of the phone. Uh, but interestingly, there is a whole bunch of other information on your phone. If you don't have a case on it, or if you do pull it off, look at the back of the phone and you'll see the IMEI is listed on there, as is the federal ID number and the model number, but no serial number. And I think the serial number is not there for actually the very reason uh, you mentioned that because um, because it could be just scratched off uh, for that you know for the, the the you know just like firearms where the, you try to you know try to hide the serial number but it's in it's in other places within software is a great place to uh, look at it actually that's where uh, the Apple Store went and looked at my serial number yesterday on my phone to uh, pull it to pull it up and put it into their uh, website to see if my phone actually uh, qualified for that plan. The other place, though, uh, which is very, very interesting, which you may or may not have realized, is that the serial number is located on your SIM card tray in devices that use SIM cards, which is uh, it's microscopic, but it is there if you take a look. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, you know, and I actually just learned that on Friday night because I was looking over the Apple documentation because it says where to find your serial number. And it said, look on the SIM tray for it. So that's uh, that's very interesting. I guess in older iPhones, it was on the back, but they have moved it to the SIM tray. Yeah, so it was, um, you know, again, there's a lot of things going on with stolen phones and devices that are, are not getting recovered uh, because of the, you know, because of certain things that are happening. But uh, if you know the serial number of your device, and there are a number of ways to find that out, as Joey mentions, um, um, and probably a good thing to, to just have written down or save somewhere so that in the event that you do happen to lose your phone, you have it so that you can report it to the police. And so if someone like Chris finds your phone and, and takes the time to go into general about and then scroll down to the serial number, you will have it right there and uh, he will be able to do something with it. Well, and, you know, the kind of taking a step back to the legality of the situation, you know, the consent was given to search the vehicle and if the phone's unlocked, you know, hey, that's uh, that's 
kind of their problem, really. I mean, yes, sometimes the legality seems a little wishy-washy, but, you know, really, that's, you know, it's part of the vehicle. It's in there. And uh, then taking another step back to this, you know, stolen iPhone, if it was reported stolen, of course, these days, most people activate the find my iPhone feature and you, you know, you you, uh, turn it to lost mode. So it's no longer usable at all. So that really kind of makes it very clear. So I've just done something as you were just talking, which, and this is one of the reasons why I love Evernote uh, for things like this. I just went in as I was kind of talking through this, this article and found, you know, found my serial number, did a screenshot of it and just went in and uploaded it to Evernote and labeled it. So I now know, well, and I'll always be able to do a quick search and say iPhone five serial number and have it. And uh, you could actually hold uh, hold over hold your finger on the serial number. It eventually brings up the copy button. So you could have copied and pasted just the serial number itself in Evernote. Well, that would have been a lot easier than what I just did. But uh, <laughs> either way, I now have a visual representation of it in a screenshot uh, that, of course, then just got backed up to PhotoStream and replicated over 8 million different devices. And so I've got a picture that is found in many different places now. But anyway, Chris, thank you very much for a very interesting story. We love hearing stuff like that. If you have anything that's interesting that you'd like us to get on this show or any questions or anything at all, you can get in touch with us by sending email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or giving us a call to 206-203-3734. We'd love to hear from you and get your questions or comments on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.